Slint once again refers to himself in the, he's, he's a third person kind of guy he always says like you're not going to fool Janos Slint like that <laughs> and you can imagine him sort of striking a certain pose as well like <laughs> you won't fool Janos Slint the tale now is that Tyrion snuck into Tywin's sort of bedchambers and literally ripped him apart with his bare hands this is Tyrion Lannister sort of Sort of short chap. Can we get some fact verification on this? Can we <laughs> we could get some backup? This is just from a tweet, isn't it? Somebody just tweeted this. Hello and welcome to part two of Shark Liver Oil's read-through of A Dance with Dragons. I'm Matt. I'm Dave, hello. And we're into the second part, Dave. We're going today from a chapter about Tyrion, uh, which begins, I think it's they left Pentos through the Southern Gate, Western Gate, Eastern Gate, one of the gates. Uh, <laughs> they left Pentos. Couldn't right. tell you how. Oh, it's, yeah, it's some weird name. They left Pentos the through the Sorrowing Gate or something, isn't it? Oh, uh, yeah, you're right. They departed Pentos by the Sunrise Gate. Is what's uh, so we're going from there, which is roughly about page 71 in my enormous volume. Uh, as far as a chapter about John, roughly page 134. Uh, they brought forth the king beyond the wall. Um, so that's a section for today, if you're reading along with us. Um, if you want to hear the sort of first part, obviously, download the one before. And then the later ones will come along later on. It's really a typical type of podcast. Um, so, <laughs> so <laughs> Also, should you at any point need to turn down the volume, you can use the volume down control <laughs> on your podcast listener of choice. And if you feel a bit tired, have a sit down. We're here to bring you these helpful tips. <laughs> if you wish to break at any point, just, just hit the pause button. Don't worry. <laughs> We'll be here waiting for you when you're ready to come back. <laughs> I think that's all the uh, that, that's all the sort of notifications out of the way. So, <laughs> Top work let, there. Record time as well, I think. Yeah. Let's get into the first chapter then. So this is Tyrion. We're back with Tyrion, um, Tyrion. in his uh, sort of tortured and miserable mind uh, that has become ever since his quite spectacular departure from Westeros. Yeah. Um, now, they're leaving Pentos, as we just said, uh, and they're sort of making the way to destination kind of unknown. It looks like in general they're going to go to Volantis, um, sort of one stop along the road to getting to Marine to get to Daenerys. I don't think Ilrio's going all the way. He's sort of just setting off with Tyrion and then letting, letting him carry on once he passes him over. Mm. Um, Ilrio says he trusts his household uh, because, you know, they're trying to sneak out of the city really early. Um and Tyrion thinks this is daft. But Tyrion, Tyrion thinks this is foolish to trust anybody. But yeah. um, I think sort of early Tyrion, like Tyrion pre-killing his dad, yeah. um, would mention this. He'd sort of laugh and say, you don't, don't trust anybody. Um, mm. In here, he just thinks it. He's, and then yeah. ra- ra- rather sort of snidely just thinks, well, he'll find out soon enough. He, he's, he's in yeah. no mood to help anybody, is he? Even those who are helping him. Absolutely. And he's, I mean, you can kind of, in a sense, it's a miracle that somebody could be the despised son of Tywin Lannister and the despised brother of Cersei and have got to such an age without just being like this all of the time. Yeah. Um, 
so to that extent, it's almost impressive that he did, you know, four books before now without <laughs> without being this kind of incredibly bitter person. But you're right, it's so sad to see, you know, this kind of this personality sort of cave in on itself almost. Yeah. Um, and, and you know, his kind of almost like affected cynicism to become genuine cynicism. Yeah. Um, yeah. So uh, he's, he's a, he's, he's, he, let's say he's going through a goth phase. Going, it's <laughs> yeah. going through a time where everything is bleak, and that's the yeah. way it's going to be. <laughs> uh, they're going overland um, because they say here the sea is too dangerous. And uh, we have a couple of examples in this part of the book of sort of travels through um, Essos, as this, this <laughs> continent's called. And th- th- I'll tell you, Matt, I became <laughs> nervous. I did become, I was like, how long is he going to be on this road? Is it going to be a novel and a half? <laughs> Yeah, but the general theme seems to be you either take your chances on the sea, which is a quicker route but a bit more dangerous, or you take the slower overland route, which, while also dangerous, is slightly less so, but will take you a lot longer to get there. <laughs> um, obviously, um, Ilario is one of the more cautious characters in this book, as we've seen time and time again, really. He likes to sort yeah. of keep every... He's, he likes to play the Game of Thrones at arm's length, if you like, doesn't he? He does. Um, it's almost as if he's doing it as a hobby, like where <laughs> everybody else is sold into it up to the very up to their elbows. He's like, well, maybe I will casually manipulate the fate of nations from over here, but but uh, when it starts to be a risk to me, I'm out. I'm out. No, this is just a a particularly high stakes form of watching the dogs or something. You know what I mean? Like just watching a spectator sport, but made out of you know blood and human lives. Yeah. Um, I tell you what that struck me as though very similar and, and later on in this passage we get don't we some um, uh, some of his history with Varys and like how Varys and Lirio came to be friends yeah or as close as one comes to being friends with somebody like either Varys or Illyrio yeah um, uh, and, and I thought it was an interesting little parallel there actually because Varys is kind of the same isn't he he doesn't have this thing where he's like you know I'm sold into your cause completely yeah, he's much more he's much more engaged, but he's also standoffish. Like he's not predictable in in who he's going to go for all the time. Um, yeah. And Illyrio seems to have the same approach. You know, it's almost like they've seen that they're very good at politics, but they've also seen the way to lose is to care. So they don't. They just manipulate merrily and for no discernible purpose. Yeah, um, they're obviously both very much in the Daenerys camp at the moment. You get, I get the feeling you that they always be, wouldn't you. Yeah, I get the feeling though that they always kind of have been through the books, um, mm. but they're very mm. careful about how obvious they are about it. Um, Interesting. Yeah, and Ty- Tyrion asks Ilrio, you know, why this is the case. You know, what what's in it for you helping this <laughs> this Daenerys getting on the throne? And he gives a few reasons um, <laughs> as he sort of teases them out. One is that he's been promised to be made master of coin, um, not yeah. by um, not by Daenerys, mind, but. Yeah. Um, that's one thing. Um, he also says he owes a sort of a, a debt to the Targaryens. Mm. Um, and he also says he just thinks, you know, it's kind of like doing something for the common good. And Tyrion is um, very suspicious of all these methods, <laughs> reasons. He thinks there's a different motive there, but he's not quite sure what it is yet. Quite reasonably suspicious as well, isn't he? I mean, mm. my, like, this guy who's like this arch political schemer, and you say, Why are you doing this? And he just goes, Oh, it's nice to be nice, isn't it? Just <laughs> occasionally want to do a good thing. Bollocks. 
absolute steaming horse manure. I do not believe for a second that Illyrio is just doing this because he's of a newfound sense of civic responsibility to a nation he's never lived in or been a citizen of. My ass. <laughs> I also, although I do quite like the idea that the, the genuine reason here is that he's the, he wants to be master of coin because he's just heard the word coin, and, <laughs> you know, and he says, doesn't he, I like coin, and, and it's like having seen the other people who've been responsible for that job, I'm like, mm, may not be the sinecure you're hoping it is, to be honest with you, illy me old mate, I think, I think you know, there's, there's a touch of the Baelishes about you if you get into that job, yeah. you know? I, I think I'm a little bit, I, I give Ilario a little bit more sort of... Um, I don't know, a little bit more trust here in that I think, that I think there might be an element of this. He just sort of thinks this might be the best thing to do um, yeah. because there's not, yeah, there doesn't seem to be a great deal in it. In fact, there seems to be, from what I can see, more to lose than to gain from either Ilrio or Varys trying to get Daenerys on the throne. Um, yeah. And there might be an element of, he's so, he's, he's pretty powerful and, mm. um, as, he's, as has Varys been for a long time. And I think after a while, if you're in those positions, it's not um, inconceivable to think at some point, you think you start to think about, you get to a certain age as they, these men both are, <laughs> and you start to think about your legacy and what you do, and you, and you want to do something that you're going to be remembered for. Um, although, <laughs> I suppose, although the, the other side of that is the, these two do very much operate in the shadows. So um, yeah. Yeah, um, whether they'd be actually, in the history books, I don't know. Actually, now you now you mention it that way, that does sort of strike me as, you know, there are quite a few cases in real life of people who've been extraordinarily effective operators behind the scenes going, why aren't I getting more glory out of this? You know, you, you think about, um, mm. um, like, the mafia in the US, you know, where it's like, it works perfectly well, nobody wants any glory, but the moment you have some kind of vainglorious knobhead, the whole thing falls down because they go, you know, and there's been like reality TV shows in, in organized crime families and shit. And you're like, what? How is it? What? what? Why? For what reason have you done this, you morons? And yeah. it's because they want a higher profile. So I, I think that could be quite, quite a compelling, a fucking stupid reason, but a realistic one, I would say. <laughs> um, as as we as we saw when we were last at Adil Rio's mansion, um, he doesn't like to do anything in anything less than luxury. So they're in this amazingly luxurious trailer. They're feasting as they go. It's quite the way to travel, isn't it? <laughs> it and, is, uh, but it's so slow. I love that Tyrion is so like so over opulence, having <laughs> grown up. He's just like, can we get a fucking move on, please? And at every step, Illyrio is kind of like, what have we got here in my big, magical, opulent bag of food straight from Harrod's food hall? <laughs> you know, he's cracking out garlic snails and, like, 95 <laughs> different types of roast peacock for lunch. And he's like, and they just have this wonderful image of Tyrion just kind of going, meh, 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 meh. And Illyrio just being like, look, I have pimped this road trip. I have pimped it to within an inch of its existence, all right? Have a peacock. <laughs> yeah, so as, as you mentioned, um, we have this little sort of backstory of Ilrio and Varys and how they sort of grew up together. Basically, they were doing sort of... They, they were doing various sort of rackets in Mia. Um, and the one they sort of settled on was, instead of sort of stealing gold, um, they'd steal secrets and sell those on. It basically created this rather sort of an early... Sort of semi-primitive spy network in Mia, which yeah, has yeah. gone on to develop into what Varys has got at King's Landing and across Westeros. 
yeah, it looks like they're sort of a bit ahead of the time, really. They've they've yeah. looked they've sort of got into something which most people at this period don't even realise is is a thing to get into. Yeah, yeah, um, and I, I I tell you what, while I was reading this, I was thinking you'd love to see the prequel TV series, wouldn't you? Be like, <laughs> like it's sort of like only fools and horses, but instead of selling like dodgy furniture and like bad off the back of the lorry kind of stuff, it's spies. Sort of only fools and horses meet spooks. And I don't know about you, but I would pay money to watch that. <laughs> yeah, uh, there are a couple of other bits and pieces about this here. I quite like how when Tyrion sort of awakens with a d- terrible hangover after getting really drunk the day before. Uh, Ilrio suggests having another drink, and he calls it a scale from the dragon that burned you, which is sort of a West, <laughs> sort of like a George Martin version of a hair of the dog. Uh, I love did. that so much as well because you know, we have hair and dog, and they have dragons and scales. <laughs> yeah, all right. you you win on that one, Westeros. Well played. <laughs> I like the uh, this the roads they're travel, traveling on are these old Valyrian roads. Um, oh, we've only yeah. really come across Valyrian stuff with Valyrian steel, these really great swords. Yeah. G- gave me a real impression of sort of Roman roads, these. They're sort of properly yeah. done, decent, you know, well-created roads with slopes so the rainwater runs off and they're still yeah. around thousands of years after, you know, the people who made them have, yeah. uh, have, have died and have been wiped out. It's very Roman, isn't it, this? Yeah, it is, and it's a bit later on as well. There's a thing where there's a whole city with a wall that's made like this, and it's like yeah. wide enough on top for a chariot race. It says, and um, and I just love the idea. First of all, like because they're able to do this because it's just made out of solid stone because they had dragons who could melt stone and kind of like put it all in place. I think is the sort of the implication, right? Um, so I think. I, I just this wonderful idea of at one point, you know, in Valyria, they had so many dragons that they could, they were basically sort of, they were able to build an entire infrastructure around dragons, around like sort of, you know, like, um, uh, like dragon, um, what do they call them in the Victorian era? You know, the lads who made the, the road, navvies, navigators, yeah. you know, just these guys who were like, kind of like, well, uh, there we go. The idea of a working class dragon, I really enjoy, because um, I think that that is how they would become cooler than they already are. Uh, <laughs> working class dragons. Working class dragons. You see that happening, can't you? A dragon Labour Party. A dra- yeah, it'd be great. <laughs> uh, so that they make, yeah, the, the countryside here is sort of. Um, it kind of made me. It, it felt to me a bit like sort of a southern italy version of sort of amon hen lord of the rings kind of area <laughs> yeah, that's you know, true, basically eh? old Actually, statues yeah. and yeah an old di- yeah. disappeared civilization but in sort of a olive grovey hot mediterranean setting yeah. rather than i, I tell you forest. what this was really great as well because i realized that it's been a long while since i was in like an interesting an environment that was interesting like yeah. you've got it's very cold by the wall and you've got it's very well, it's warmish in, in King's Landing and then you've got lots and lots and lots and lots and lots of damp forest covering the rest of Westeros and then and you know you've got you've got this sort of like deserty stuff around Marie and Yunkai and stuff but this was this was a really interesting environment to sort of find myself in I really liked it now this plan of sort of getting over to meet Daenerys um, obviously isn't foolproof we get a little insight into how you know even Ilrio doesn't sort of have a, a master plan that is absolutely watertight. He's assuming that Daenerys is going to meet them 
in Volantis because by now she'll be on her way out of Marine and making her way towards <laughs> Westeros. The best that's a plans. pretty big gamble, eh? <laughs> My word. I mean, obviously we know that that's not what she's doing, but I also, I, like, I love this stuff when you're in a world this size and, you know, you watch how slowly news spreads through it and, you know, how, how difficult it is to know where people are at particular points. But yeah. That's an enormous gamble. Yeah, she's galloped along through three different cities, sacking them as she goes. Uh, might she not want a bit of a rest? <laughs> at a certain point no perhaps not perhaps so yeah I suppose this is just how hard it is to work out what people are doing in this kind of world where there's no way of really getting messages to and from people yeah, uh, there's, there's also this news of this this sort of group of mercenaries called the Golden Company which were created out of exiled knights from Westeros quite a long time ago they're going to help Daenerys um, because effectively she's going to be their ticket home um, if obviously she gets on, if if they put her back on the Iron Throne, then she'll she's likely to give them lands in in Westeros again. Yeah, 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 totally. We get a strange bit of colour about Ilrio in that he was genuinely, it seems, in, in love with his second wife Sarah, who he sort of picked up from a pleasure house. Um, she was killed by the plague, and obviously mm. he it, it, it hit him very hard. And he, he, but this this is a weird little touch. He still keeps her hands in his bedchamber. Yeah. <laughs> now, um, it, hmm. a bit odd, isn't it? Bit, I mean, even for Westeros, even even for Westeros, where brothers shag sisters, yeah. and you know, um, uh, so, but uh, says sisters have dwarves' heads bronzed and then stick them in chamber pot. <laughs> yeah, just yeah. The Lannisters alone give us an almost inexhaustible source of wow, what the fuck moments. Um, but I have to say that, like, I mean, so he liked her hands, and so his response to that was to get him what pickled, bronzed, like, or are they so. just sit? Yeah, they just sitting there slowly rotting. Like, what the fuck's the matter with him? <laughs> it's where I, he there keeps them as well in his bedchamber. Uh, yeah, well, I mean, leading me to a number of jokes, which I don't think I've got the stomach to attempt. <laughs> yeah, should we move on? Let's, move Sh- on. Let, let's, let's, because otherwise we're going to get to sort of jokes about zombie wanking, and I just don't, I just don't have it in me. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, Tyrion has this dream of um, going into battle in Westeros at the head of this giant army, um, helping Daenerys. Uh, but he's got two heads, and one of them is laughing all the time as he's doing it, and the other one's crying. I thought it was quite yeah. nice. Um, yeah. A little on the nose, of course, but of him... Um, well, yeah, but I prefer on the nose to flip in... The, how many chapters long was it? I still haven't forgiven him for this bollocks in the House of the Undying with Daenerys. It was, it was like 50 pages of then an eyeball fell from the ceiling, turned around, and it turned out to be her long-lost cousin Charlie, who then started dancing around the room and... <laughs> Spraying lavenders from his nostrils, still an eyeball. Like what the what the fuck? Like at least give me. I am very intolerant of dream sequences. Give me dream sequences that are clearly about something. If you're going to do them at all, if not, fuck off yeah. and write it in the plot. <laughs> That's how I okay. feel about it. So a big fan of that one then for you? Oh, um, well, a big fan. Yeah, toler- tolerated it. Tolerated it with happiness yeah. rather than rage. 
Yeah, it says something clear, doesn't it, about his sort of um, his conflict within it. About <laughs> I'm what so unsophisticated about this, aren't I? As well, he says something clear, and that's all I want from my literature: something clearly explicable. Yeah. So uh, the only other thing I want to want to say about this this chapter is uh, just just to give a mention to the fact that Tyr- being in Tyrion's head now, he constantly keeps coming back to these thoughts about Shay, Tysha, Tywin. You know yeah. his past. He, he, this is a very much a character just haunted by uh, some of the dreadful things in his past now, and yeah. uh, e- even more so than before. You feel you feel that in earlier books he may have suppressed some of this stuff about Tysha slightly, but um, yeah, it's um, it's obviously playing uh, silly buggers in his head now. <laughs> yeah, no, very much, and um, and it's it does plug you into his kind of descent into into this like darker character that we've seen yeah um that yeah. we've seen in this book um which i mean like it's well done but i find it hard to enjoy because like i said last time it's just okay cool another another fuck nut another you know another unpleasant person to spend yeah. time in their head and one of the nice things about Tyrion was that he was a decent human being and now he's not really yeah. Um, yeah. So it's a bit. I mean, like for the character, it's an interesting arc, but for, but for the book as a whole, I'm like, oh fuck, seriously? Cool. All right. No, no. He was a flawed human being who was very, you know, violent towards people and you know, horrendous, yeah. power obsessed, blah blah blah. Like yeah. it just, it just doesn't engage me as much. So yeah. Uh, we move on to the the merchant's man. Oh, new POV character. Ding ding ding. Is there? Is that, I, mm, I'm I'm not really sure that ding 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 is the appropriate response to this. Do you know? Do you want to know for why? Why? Want to know for why? Because I went looking. I went to Wikipedia <laughs> and I I read a little. I read I read the intro to uh, to a Dance with Dragons. Don't know the plot except insofar as it's been put on screen and I've watched it at great length. But I did look and it says um, that the first book had nine point of view characters. And do you know how many point of view characters there are in this book, Matt? I'm going to take a conservative guess at say 14. Oh no, sir! Oh no! Do you know? Do you want to know how many there are? Do you want to guess yeah. again? Um, 16, <laughs> 20, 31. Thir- what in 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 Dance with Dragons alone? I think so. That's what it can't said. be. I'm not oh, sure no, there are 31 chapters. <laughs> that would be amazing wouldn't it he just completely lost his sense of self control and been like and then from the point of view of the little guy on the side of the road who started an anarcho-syndicalist commune help help he's being oppressed he said the next chapter his wife next to him oh look it's raining she said like just completely mental um, okay fine fair enough it may be that that's 31 over the whole thing yeah, yeah um, that, that's, that sounds about right actually yeah but I do wonder how many there are in this book because there's a lot of one-offs and a lot of old by the ways. Yeah. Same in the last one as well, and um, it feels a little bit indisciplined to me. It's yeah. 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 I mean, to, to, to be fair to him, this is the first one, and I think we're in chapter about six or seven now. So, oh no, hang on a minute, it's the second one because the prologue was someone else as well, wasn't it? Yeah. Who was that? Yeah, some other newbie. Okay. Some other fucker. Hey, I tell you what. I'm sorry. To, given my given my my slight breaking of my no Wikipedia about a song of ice and fire rule this afternoon. I know. I'm very suspicious about this. You seem I've to not be been doing anywhere a lot near of researching. A wiki and ice and fire. Haven't done it. Haven't done it. Yeah. I have. I have maintained my innocence. Uh, but Pate. You remember Pate, the character who's in the prologue of the of. of Feast for Crows, who you then you meet once and something weird happens to him which is unambiguous, and then 
you don't encounter him again for the whole book, and then he meets Sam at the end. Yes. Um, apparently, he's supposed to, it's supposed to be clear from that prologue that he's died, and so it's actually an epilogue. Like, that thing actually happens after he's met Sam. Oh. Yeah, exactly. Oh. Which leads me to think... Okay. I, I, when I read that this afternoon, I was almost ready to go around and egg George Martin's house. I really was. Why the fuck do you put an epilogue, call it a prologue, and then place it at the beginning of it? Why do you, like, it's just two different layers of audience-frustrating complication for a character I don't care about. Yeah. Fuck. Sorry, it just, I, just, I just got dunked back into why I despised A Feast for Crows. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, that, parenthetical, let's move on. Yeah, you'd think if he wanted to do that, you'd do it the other way around. You'd put the epilogue first with Sam there and then go, you know, the next chapter so many months earlier mm. and then have Pate killed at the end. But Yeah, anyway. you, you would, but then that would, <laughs> that would actually, that would make it three different time chunks with Sam, wouldn't it? Because we're now back at the wall with him as well. <laughs> oh, yeah. like, what the fuck? What the, what the actual living, it? what? <laughs> He's almost a time traveller, isn't he, Sam? He is. Sam is a time lord. A craven time lord is what he is. <laughs> right, okay. Uh, let's go on to the merchant's man then. So this is a new character. It's told from the point of view of Quentin, who is, if you remember, the son of uh, Doran Martell, who's the sort of the, the big guy over in, over, over in Dawn, who's plotting against the throne. The <laughs> plan is to send Quentin over to... Uh, Marine to to get Daenerys to wed him because he's off, basically offering an alliance with Dawn if uh, if they get married uh, to take back the Seven Kingdoms. Uh, he's mm. on an undercover mission along with it looks like six of them set off, um, but they, they're down to they're down to three now because they got attacked by pirates on the way over to Volantis. Them uh, pirates so got, will always have you. Yeah, so you got Quentin, you got Garrick. Um, who's his sort of better-looking friend? Um, who's uh, seems a little bit older as well. Um, there's there's also this guy who we meet at the very end of this chapter called the Big Mum, who turns out to be uh, Sir Archibald Yornwood. So they've got a knight with them. Who I assume is there as protection. <laughs> I love that you call him Yornwood because it's because I read that as Ironwood with a Y instead of an I, and that sounds much more badass than a guy called Mister Yornwood. I am, I am the Lord Yornwood. I yawn in the woods. Yeah, that's a good point. Shall we, I'll, I'll give him a break. I'll give him a break since he's, he's not done much yet. I'll call him Ironwood. So, so, so Archibald <laughs> Ironwood is is with them. Um, and the three who died, there was a maester um, who um, who was killed on the boat. Uh, a guy called Will and a guy called Cletus. And I'm pretty pleased that he's dead, if I'm honest, because it just made me think of the guy from The Simpsons, that whole Billy. <laughs> and the thing is, this character was introduced long after the character of Cletus the Slack-Jawed Yokel was introduced <laughs> in Sim- The Simpsons. So, and he didn't even bother to re-spell it, did he, George? Like, no. he, like he does with other names, like Andrew becomes Indrew and yeah. stuff like that. No, he's just Cletus. Just Cletus. 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 Yeah, yeah, and he's apologies got this... to anybody who's actually from the American South. There, neither <laughs> of us are, as you can tell. <laughs> when they have this, uh, when he has this recollection of what happened on the pirate ship, it sounds like a pretty nasty attack. The mate gets his throat cut, and uh, yeah. Th- but this guy is obviously his best mate, and he does this quite, quite sad sort of um, dying breath. You know, say hello to your 
princess for me and all this. And I, I was reading, thinking, yeah, that's kind of sad. But I was also thinking, should have given that line to Will because I can't, yeah. I can't take this guy seriously. Because you're imagining him going, "Kiss your queen for me." <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so anyway, um, he's <laughs> his diamond, a song of ice and fire, was mercifully short. Um, so. They, they, so that, what's happened so far is uh, they've made it as far as Volantis, just about, uh, and they're trying to find a, a ship to take them on to Marine. Uh, the only ship they can get after around about 20 days of wandering around this massive port is uh, this slave ship, and the sort of the sort of captain says, oh, okay, give me a bit of money, I'll take you. But they kind of suss him out and realise that he'll just take the money and kill them once they get off the uh, once they get out of sight of the of the shore so they're still sort of at square one really with trying to get out of Volantis um, Volantis as a whole is quite interesting this enormous sort of port city really hot and dusty full of slaves and um, mm-hmm. see, I think it was something like there's five slaves for every free person in this city and yeah. e- each one of them has a tattoo on their face and it's basically yeah. their job description so um, yeah that's kind Tell of strange you what, don't go looking for the porn stars in that town eh <laughs> sorry, sorry. <laughs> Very thoughtless. I apologize. I think I think the um the the sort of prostitutes and the whores have um like tears. I might be wrong. Oh fuck well now now you see I am the very living image of a complete son of a bitch for having made that <laughs> joke, aren't I? I might, I might be wrong. It might I, I remember think I remember something if, if I'm wrong, do you call me out on that? It's Charlie Roll Podcast at gmail.com. Um, that sort of a half remembered something about that, but I might be wrong. Uh, yeah, super that, I mean, I'm not saying that's not appropriate. I'm just saying that, you know, I've I've met myself and I am appalled at my sense of humour. <laughs> Uh, the, the the city's run by what's called a triarch, so they've got three um, sort of rulers um, who sort of seem to change every year. And uh, the thing that I thought was quite cool about it um, was they've got elephant taxis. So these are the <laughs> elephants sort of taking people around. <laughs> <laughs> I tell you what, you want to be careful hailing one of those, eh? Like yeah. just, just see a hand waving around, and if, if, if it's a kind of apprentice mahout doesn't stop in time (laughs) all I wanted to do was go to the shops (laughs) yeah so so they're trying to work out how to get to Marine and um, they sort of take the opposite view of Ilrio here who's who's actually on his way to Volantis at the moment with Tyrion and Mm. they decide the roads are just too slow um, and but still the sea is is too dangerous as well they can't find a ship so they're really in a bit of a bind Um. Quentin, what do you make of Quentin? He's a bit worked up himself because yeah. he, ex- he expects Daenerys to sort of get on board with this agreement because obviously it's the it's an obvious strong alliance to make with one of the big houses in Westeros to help ease your passage back home. But at the same time, he's um he he's actually worried about whether she'll actually like him. He seems quite a little yeah. sensitive soul, Quentin. He he is well, and at one point it says he's only eighteen years old, which I mm. kind of. Like, I understand, and he's definitely, like... I, I think I actually thought... I mean, in the context of the world, he's complete mincemeat, obviously, because he's not one of these absurd, thrusting, might-is-right wankers. Mm. Um, so, you know, I, we all know how his story's going to end, and it's going to be horrific. But I thought this was <laughs> quite... A, this is quite an accurate 
image of what an 18-year-old is like going forth into the world. And, you know, it's bad enough when your only responsibility is to earn money for yourself and put a roof over your own head for the first time. But, you know, imagine going out with the, you know, the fate of an entire noble dynasty in Mm. your hands, Um, you know, resting on your ability to negotiate your way through these, all of these port towns and pirates and that and all of this shit that you've never encountered before because you spent your entire time on the beach in your ancestral homeland. Like, yeah. It's, I mean, so I thought it was very realistic and there were, you know, a few moments where he's like, kind of like, I wish I wasn't doing this or like, I wish I was already there and that, that kind of thing, right? You know, I hope she likes me. And I was just looking at it thinking, yeah, but in this story universe, the person who feels ambiguous about doing this sort of thing is not the person who wins, you know? Um, and, and, you know, I was quite sad about that really, actually. Yeah, so you're a bit worried about, about his sort of prospects of actually getting this done. You You feel he's not quite ruthless enough. Yeah, very much. And he's, he's know, got, he seems to have some pretty ruthless guys around him, though. I think this Garrick guy seems to know what he's doing, and, and the the big man Archibald Yarmouth. Although it seems the brains of the operation was this maester who's been killed, that sort of en route. So they've had yeah. a bit of bad luck already. Yeah, reading that, and I was like, yeah, not going to go well. Yeah. Not going to go well at all. He even thinks, isn't it? Um, you know, if the maester had still been alive at this stage, we'd have probably got some way. Of, but it's probably got out of Volantis by now. It's just no one seems to know how to do it now. Mm. And they've mm-hmm. lost. Again, it's this um, sense of, you know, you don't have a direct line back to, you know, the HQ which has sent you on this mission. So once things start going wrong, if you lose this, a couple of key people, you've really got to just muddle your way through that and work out things for yourself yeah it's interesting what you said about quentin being 18 so he's just 18 and obviously suddenly had this thrust upon him it probably says a bit about the sort of sheltered existence that he's had in dawn as well when you consider you know john snow's 15 and he's mm. he's the uh, log commander of the night's watch now uh, rob, that's rob, true yeah when rob went into battle he was 14 um yeah and it seems they sort of they they seemed a lot more ready to take on um, responsibility at, at, at an almost ridiculously young age compared to yeah. Quentin who's sort of 18 and still seems very very green and you could even yeah. compare that to his sister Ariana and she sort of obviously all confidence and wants to bring down kingdoms and cause revolutions but she clearly doesn't have the faintest idea what she's doing <laughs> do you know what I mean <laughs> yeah you're absolutely right Absolutely right. And and so is this a Dawn thing? Is this like, you know, their kind of, their rhetoric of, you know, we're the ultimate badasses has kind of run away with them a bit. Um, and I, and I, kids I, grow up hearing these stories of glory and actually have no idea how it's actually done. I think it's two things. I think they do have this reputation for being, um, yeah, um, real badasses when they need to be. But they've also got this reputation for being a, a particularly civilised part of Westeros, and if you remember um, the the what was he called the Viper um, yeah, when he yeah. when he went to uh, to King's Landing, and he's saying you know we we don't kill children in dawn, and we look out, and you have the sort of yeah. these scenes at the Water Gardens where the kids are looked after, and so it feels like it's one of the few places in Westeros where you genuinely have a childhood, which will mm. of course mean you're not as ready as early to do adult things. Yeah. Yeah, actually, uh, that's a good point. Actually, so is it, what is what it takes to win in Westeros to have, you know, to just have an astonishing, uh, basically an abusive childhood, but to to come out of it less abused than everybody else. Mm. Like, is that what it takes? And you know, you you start to feel the sort of 
the uh, the, the civilization of dawn, don't you? But yeah. does does that mean that Quentin's going to lose this quite badly? Because I I think it probably does. Yeah, I mean the the the, the sort of I suppose the greatest example of you know, abusive, dreadful childhood turning you into a stronger character is is his bride-to-be, Daenerys, who's still oh, a few years true, younger like... than him. And as, yeah. as you know, has, has, done, has been through all this stuff and done all this stuff already. So, yeah. yeah, he does seem a good few sort of years behind the pace, Quentin, doesn't he? And you do mm. worry a bit to, to sort of... He's going to need some pretty streetwise and pretty um, strong characters around him if he's, if he's to sort of achieve his goal here. Yeah. Um, but it's, I thought it was an interesting sort of departure. It's one, one of the um, it's one of the sort of new characters where I thought, yeah, you know, it's uh, it's quite interesting this to see how can a how can a, a nice, sheltered, decent young guy actually get on in this world? Is there any way he can succeed if he gets the right people around him? Um, yeah. We'll have to wait and see. It, th- yeah. This ends with um, they head back to the merchant house where they're staying. I quite like this bit of colour. How on the way back in, there's a, there are these recruiters for one of the mercenary armies, and they're sort of promising on like gold and glory to all these people. I, I quite like to you just got a little snapshot and, and picture of of how these mercenary companies manage to keep going and you know sustain these massive losses in battles yeah, and they yeah, recruit yeah. a lot more people through volunteers only it's yeah. not like in westeros where you just go to your local farm and village and say right drop your drop your plows you you're coming with me <laughs> <laughs> yeah 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 totally um yeah and and the big man sir archibald uh ironwood says he's got a a third way if you like a different plan to either the sea route or the land routes but we don't hear what it is it's going to have to be sort of something we find out later on yeah Hmm. off up to the wall then back with John Um, he's looking at a letter it's kind of annoyed me a little bit where he takes ages to find out what on earth he's upset about here (laughs) even when you do you're not sure but um, anyway we'll get to that so he's looking at this letter he's not happy with um He's he's putting in motion this plan that we saw happen in Feast for Crows, which is he he wants to send away um, Gilly and Sam, mm. uh, and basically swap the children, as we find out here. Um, yeah. So he's sending Gilly away with Mance's child, so yeah. that the Red Woman can't burn him, basically. But it involves Gilly giving up her own child, which she's yeah. obviously devastated about. Yeah, heartbreaking, isn't it? About. I, I don't know about you. Th- this sequence, obviously, we knew this had happened because we've read the book before where this has already occurred. Mm. Um, uh, but I, for some reason, this wasn't tiresome to me at all because I sort of, I feel like I'm seeing John do the growing, which I kind of, I had to assume he had done anyway in yeah. the last book, but I'm actually seeing it occur and he's a character I care about, so it's still interesting. Um, I was quite happy about that because when I knew we were going back to the start of this whole thread, I was like, oh, for fuck's seriously, <laughs> we're going to, honestly, we are going to go through all of this again. Great. But it is interesting to see it from another perspective. Yeah. And you're right. So this this is, this chapter almost is all about John um, trying to become the, the sort of Lord Commander that he needs to be. It's all tied around this um, conversation he's had with Maester Eamon, um, which he sort of remembers later in the chapter. But um, the key quote is, kill the boy. And basically Eamon's yeah. saying, you need to sort of become harder and yeah. and more ruthless and uh, and less sensitive, if you like. you got to kill yeah. the boy and let the sort of man be born, if you like. Um, yeah. Which is the sort of 
the classic Westerosi um, view of you know adulthood and uh, and masculinity, isn't it? It's uh, yeah, it's you're not kidding. Sensitivity. Yeah, it's, ba- it's basically killing everything that kind of makes Quentin what he is over in. Um, oh yeah, that's is. a good parallel to draw, actually, isn't it? But it's also interesting that you know, like I, I think there is a fundamental piece of decency in Jon Snow, which will remain even if the boy is killed. You know, I don't think necessarily mm. that compassion is a naive characteristic. It might be in this story universe, but that's the reason why and George George Martin's not stupid. That that's the reason why we like Jon Snow, is that. Mm. He seems to be one of the few people in this universe who operates with a sense of honour and decency and, you know, doesn't get killed. Mm. Um, yeah. And so that's a kind yeah. of, that's something that we really like about him because otherwise it's just, like I say, it's a parade of bastards and ultimately that's not very narratively interesting. Yeah. <laughs> One of the only guys who isn't a bastard is actually a bastard. Hey! <laughs> zing! <laughs> Um, so he's, he he say he he sort of takes on Gilly first, and he's very cold. Um, he was I suppose he would say necessarily cold in the way he sends her away. He uh, yeah. he tells her she's got to go, and to illustrate the, what's going to happen to her son if she uh, what's going to happen to Mance's son if she doesn't go along with this plan. He mm. get, forces her to put a hand over the, uh, the candle flame to feel out what it would, would be like to Bloody sort of be hell. burned. Yeah, um, but she sort of accepts it, obviously, and is, is devastated and, and leaves. And then Sam comes in, and we get a bit of the uh, more information about the issues John's got here. Uh, this letter he's writing, um, John's trying to play, trying to sort of show all these pretenders to the throne that the Night's Watch aren't supporting one over the other, which is very hard to do when you've got one of the kings living with you, if you like. Um, yeah. So he's, I think this letter. I mean, it's not entirely clear, but from what I understood, the letter is basically asking for men. It's got yeah. it's a, a sort of a begging letter to uh, King's yeah. Landing, and obviously yeah. John doesn't want to send it out of pride, out of what's happened to his family at the hands yeah. of the Lannisters. Yeah. Um, but it's basically to, it's, he calls it a paper shield. It's basically sending it, not really with any expectation of getting support, but just to almost explain himself and show that he isn't throwing his lot in completely with Stannis, which is the impression you could easily get down in King's Landing. Yeah, very much. But And I think, you know, he's in a really difficult position here, isn't he? Because nobody, absolutely none of the noble families and neither side of where, however many kings there are on this war now, hmm. um, is minded to actually respect the Night's Watch and their, you know, their very, very wise neutrality, which exists for a good fucking reason. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, nobody's nobody's actually going to respect that, and so he's he's between a rock and a hard place. You know, he's he's got very little credibility. Um, Stannis is there demanding things, and so from the outside, it must look as if you know John's working with Stannis already. Mm. Um, yeah, I I feel for him. It's a, it's it is it is what I believe a professional political operative would call a bastard. He's an absolute <laughs> yeah. bastard of a situation. Yeah, he says this quite uh, quite a good quote, uh, John, where he says, pleasing one king is difficult enough, pleasing two is hardly possible. And uh, that probably yeah. sums up his predicament quite well. Yeah. Um, he asks Sam about a, a, bit about of, a, bit, a bit of a history lesson. He wants to find out more about the, the White Walkers, about the others. Um, it's probably worth here just reminding ourselves just how old these stories are about the White Walkers. Yeah. They are le- they are legendary stories. So, you know, 
winters do happen and they they last for a long time as we, we've heard about in in Westeros. Yeah. So you you have these stories about from recent history of of kings freezing in their own halls and you know these dreadful winters. Yeah. Um, but that is something different to the White Walkers arriving, which seems to have happened like thousands of years ago in, in what was called the Age of Heroes, so long ago that no contemporaneous records even remain. The only mm. history they've got of this time is just stuff people have written thousands of years later, which is yeah. why it's why these sort of White Walkers and monsters like that have this legendary and mythological status here, and why the Night's Watch aren't really respected, because basically the Night's Watch for thousands of years, not just centuries, thousands of years now, have just been sort of a a kind of semi less than police force that sort of yeah you know mans the wall and every so often there's a wildling incursion which they've got to sort of deal with but even that isn't hasn't really been happening quite so bad up until obviously this massive yeah. attack last year <laughs> um but that just gives a feel for just how how difficult it is to to know what sort of this enemy is that's on the way and that's what John's been trying to get Sam to find out and all we really get here is basically a rehash of what we've already heard so you know Valyrian steel could possibly kill them um, yeah. fire is useful against the others and obsidian or dragon glass is yeah. also effective but nothing else is yeah, um, yeah. So, and I like I, I, I loved this whole chunk because it's plot it's straightforwardly it's the, we've had four novels of this freaky bastard shit coming out of the woods and then going back again <laughs> you know um, and now I am you know I'm as much of a fan of as a storytelling device as the next man but um, it is nice to get a little bit of since Sam's been in the archives forever to actually get a little bit of this is what we know about these things Mm-hmm. Um, and to kind of have them spoken about as something that's real, not just a bogeyman, yeah. um, and to have them to actually have them act like soldiers who have an enemy and want to know what they want to know about it, instead of just being like, right, we're going to go for a massive long walk through this territory, which is clearly not safe in the slightest. We'll have a couple of battle scenes up there. We'll come back. It'll all be, you know, it's all felt quite slapdash up to now, and I yeah. quite like that they actually act like a military force and you know actually do their reconnaissance and stuff like this this felt a little bit like them getting their shit together yeah <laughs> and as a pleasant side effect it was also more interesting for me to read so you know sweet yeah uh so john then goes on to tell sam the plan is sending sam away as well uh, along with gilly uh, and darian remember him um I, are- <laughs> I, I do and i have to tell you i remember him being both a complete knobhead and not long for this world <laughs> yeah that works for me Schadenfreude that works works in favour of the audience. Yeah, and also, of course, Master Eamon is trying to try to make this voyage as well. Uh, Sam's gonna. The, the plan is to end up Sam and Sam to end up in Old Town and uh, train to become a maester. As we know, this is exactly what happens through a feast for crows. Mm. And Sam says, you know, he's frightened. He doesn't want to go. And John finally just sort of loses patience here because you know he's got all these problems to deal with. John, he's basically mm. offering Sam. Probably of all the members of the Night's Watch, the obvious golden ticket to the easiest time you could possibly have. The really far away, as far away from the wall as you can get in Westeros, to go and do the thing he likes to do best, which is basically surround himself with books and read. And he's still like, oh, I don't, I don't want to go. I'm afraid of like, you know, I don't want to wear a chain, and people might shout at me and be mean. And John's like, oh, yeah. for fuck's sake. <laughs> 
<laughs> Isn't it brilliant the way he's like, look, for th- you have killed, you've literally killed otherworldly creatures. Like, you've survived not one but two raids by things which, until a year ago, were like myths. For th- it's just glorious, isn't it? Like, he takes absolutely no shit. And it's about time as well. As fond as I am of Sam, he's just got this... His image of himself is that he is a failure and a fraud and a, and, and a craven, as he keeps saying. Yeah. And John's like... You enough. know, he kind of calls him out on the fact... Exactly, enough. Like, this is... We are no longer in a position where your sense of victimhood need, can, can... We can afford to pander to that anymore. You are mm. not what you believe yourself to be. Get the fuck over it and move on. And yeah. that's a huge moment of psychological maturity for any character. And I, I, I'm kind of... I'm kind of sad that I know what happens after this. I know what happens after this, and it's Sam on board a boat thinking maudlin thoughts to himself instead yeah. of Sam being like, yeah, fucking, yeah, you know, and like actually <laughs> having a bit of self belief. Um, it's sad, really, is what it is, because this here is a great and potentially redemptive character moment, and it has the wind taken out of its sails a little bit by the fact that I know that it doesn't come off. You know? Yeah, yeah. The, the chapter, so Sam obviously and Gilly eventually agree, uh, and John packs them off. And this chapter ends with this, uh, you know, back to, you know, what John's going to do at the wall. And his next plan is to garrison a couple of these extra castles that uh, that Stannis keeps banging on about wanting to take over himself. Mm. So he's sending this this guy called Giant, who's the small, you know, <laughs> typical classic hey, joke, the smallest genius. guy in the group. He's called yep. Giant. He's getting sent over to Icemark to garrison that. And uh, he wants to send Janos Slint to Greyguard. Two reasons. One, it might sort of a proper job for him to do, a leadership job, might actually turn him into a decent guy again because John thinks there might be some embers yeah. of potential still there. And on yeah. the, and also, you know, it's just getting Slint away from, from Castle Black where he can sort of plot and be a, be a problem as well because ob- you can see from this exchange straight away that Slint has absolutely no respect for John. Mm. Um, <laughs> Slint... Once again, refers to himself in the, he's, he's a third person kind of guy. He always says like, <laughs> "You're not going to fool Janos Slint like that." <laughs> and you can imagine him sort of striking a certain pose as well, can't you? It's like, <laughs> you won't fool Janos Slint. Everybody's being like, "Do you realise where you are? You're at the fucking wall. You've already failed. Knock it the fuck off." Yeah, um, Slint refuses to go and garrison this castle, and John gives him gives him a day. To gives him a night to sleep on it and decide to you know actually follow orders. Um, yeah. the, the next day they go down to what's basically the canteen. Slint's there, obviously refusing a direct order, and John decides to take a calculated risk because his support isn't sort of immense at the moment. You know, he only just won this election. Yeah, um, and he says, right, um, take him outside and hang him. Yeah. And there's this there's this moment, isn't there, with kind of centres around Sir Alistair Thorne, where yeah. it could go either way, and Thorne sort of steps back and says, "Okay, you know, you're the boss, carry on." Mm. Um, John's decision to 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 sentence Slint to death. He he has he's nicely written this. I like how he as he's about to speak, he thinks of the three options he's got and says the one that is the most obviously. The, yeah. the, the harshest because yeah. uh, he thinks he could tie him to a horse effectively force him to go to Greyguard but he thinks yeah. well it's not going to yeah. deal with the root cause of the problem he could confine yeah. him to an ice cell just basically lock him up for a while but yeah. he thinks eventually you know it's, it's a lost cause Slim. Yeah. so yeah. there's only one more option and it's the, the ultimate one yeah 
Well, and I think this is it. Again, I think this is played much better in the book because there isn't quite so much at the end of this scene there will be a death than the yeah. TV series is. In the TV series, this scene, I watched it and I was like, oh, yeah, oh, cool, right, he's going to kill Janos Slint. You know, it was much more like a kind of like, yeah, fucking have him. You know, it was really sort of, it was schadenfreude. Whereas yeah. after the conversation, you know, kill the boy, become the man, all of this stuff, it's this huge, it comes off much more as a character development moment and much less about we must kill somebody because this is Game of Thrones, the TV series, and killing people is what we do. Yeah. Um, it had weight, um, and it also I like that it was it was less of a done deal. Like in the mm. TV series, it was like he's going to kill him. Whereas yeah. here, it was like I'm going to give him a night to think about it. And you're like, oh shit, John! If you let him get away with this, you're fucked. Yeah. And and then it's like hang him, and then it's like no, I'm going to chop his head off. Yeah. Um, and that sort of thing. A much better callback to that scene right at the beginning with his dad, with Ned mm. Stark. Yeah. Who's yeah. like who who. You know, beheads a man for deserting the Night's Watch and says, if you don't do it yourself, you're not really the king. Yeah. You know, like leadership involves taking responsibility for the unpleasant decisions that you make. Yeah. Um, which is, of course, exactly the sort of leader that Janos Slint isn't and exactly the sort of leader that we desperately want Jon Snow to be. And so to see him do this, even though it is the death of a character, it had meaning. And that was just great. I love that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's interesting to compare this to the, to the series. And the series got a bit of, um, a bit of criticism for 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 not using this phrase you know not not yeah fetch me my block or something and i thought i don't know, i don't really think that was a, an issue at all but i i, I yeah. do think yeah. I, I very much agree with what you said about this how this is such an obvious um call back to the very start of what ned did um for the execution and i'd yeah. have quite liked to see um maybe in the book as well especially in the series i'd have preferred it if john had um actually done some kind of passing sentence speech yeah. like Ned does because yeah. I, I love that speech at the start in, in the game because Sean Bean does it so well as well because you've got um, yeah. it, it, there's this sort of you can sense in it there's this real sadness about as he's saying as he's saying I sentence you to die but also this sort of implacable strength about it as well that it's happening you know and there's no yeah. way he, he he's not sort of he gets across that he, he regrets doing it and he's sad that he has to do it, but there's no sort of self-doubt there. He's doing it. There's no, yeah, there's no question. Yeah, he's not yeah, sort yeah, of... Yeah, totally. Which was really, it. I think, and that's something that I would respond to in characters where they're like, where they have character with a capital C, you know what I mean? They're like, yeah. this is the way it's going to be. And that's who John clearly is going to grow up into. Yeah. Hopefully. Um, but um, you're right. I would have liked a little bit more of a rhyme here, a little bit more of a, you know. Yeah, just so, you know, so some, some sort of process. So I pass the sentence, I, John Snow, of log by the Night's Watch, sentence you to die, something like that. Yeah, something like that. Just, just a bit of nice But at the same time, you know, maybe self-importance isn't what he's feeling right now. You know, it's maybe true. it's much yeah. more about that. Then maybe it's truer to his character to... This is why he's doing it, but he's not going to act it out like a kind of diorama of I'm Ned Stark reborn. You know, yeah. he's, he's just going to give it much more of no, no, the, it's not important what it looks like, it's important what it is. Put yeah, on the block, I'm chopping it off. I wonder if that's a um, for John's shown himself to be quite, quite good politically, but I wonder if that's a weakness because yeah. I think it's really important with stuff like this, you've got to show process and it's got yeah. to be as oh, obvious that's as a good possible, point, isn't actually, it? Yeah. Yeah, that's, I mean that, that's that's why that. that's why Ned does it. It's not really for him. It's for everybody around him present to be aware yeah. that this is a. It's not sort of. It's just so obvious that this is a process. It's not even my decision. Effectively, it's a yeah. process. It's what yeah, happens. Yeah, yeah. So, which again is a sign of good leadership, I think. And mm. Yeah, you're right there. I hadn't thought of that. I wonder if that will come back to bite him on the ass. Mm. 
It's interesting that this ends at Slint is defiant all the way through, right up until the point where I think the thing that is like the cold water in the face for Slint, just as he realizes this is going to happen, is yeah. when John says, "Stretch your neck out and don't move because if you move, it'll be it'll be messy." Yeah. And that's I thought that was really I thought that was really brought home what this kind of execution is like because yeah. it's almost full. Um, it's almost forcing the person into some some sort of semi-suicide, isn't it? It's yeah. telling your body to let it happen. Yeah. Um, oh, that's interesting. Yeah, and I'd never thought of it, it that way until I saw this either, until I kind of saw it written this way. But I thought it was a great, really effective way of um, of of kind of doing it and showing the sort of horror of this. And, and of course, even Janos Slint's kind of death is, I, I feel like it's better rendered here than it was in the TV series. Mm. You know, his kind of unbelievable towering arrogance followed by his complete craven terror at this implacable end it just all mm. came together really well at the end of this chapter i thought yeah um, we're back with Tyrion next oh hello D- double Tyrion in this part um yeah so Tyrion's arrived um at this point where ilio is going to drop him off um and pass him on to these uh these two uh, characters, one called Duck, who t- turns out to be a knight, and the other called Halden, who it seems to be like a healer, some kind of medic, and um, his nickname's Halfmeister. Um, so he's sort of some sort of semi, seems to be some kind of semi meister. Um, so they're going to take him over to uh, this river called the Rhine, where um, they're meeting up with some other characters who will meet shortly. Uh, there are the, the, the sort of the, there's a bit of a chat about the general plan trying to get to Volantis. There's a bit of concern about making haste now because there are these three uh, Kalasars, you know, the Dothraki. Oh, you're right. Yeah, sorry, I pulled pulled that earphone out of my ear. Carry on. <laughs> these three Dothraki. Dothraki fell off his chair. So, fuck off, really? <laughs> yeah, no. There's these three Kalasars wandering around. And obviously they don't want to get caught by any of those, yeah. so they've got to make sort of make speed. There's this very brief, fairly tiresome um, attempt to keep to keep Tyrion undercover until he reaches um, until he reaches Griff, who's the sort of leader of this group. Mm. Basically, they tell um, they tell the, these two men that Tyrion is called Yolo, um, and Tyrion says he's called Hugo Hill because he realizes that he's obviously Westerosi. Yeah. Um, and then by the time they get to the, by the time they get to this boat and meet Griff, who's the leader, he gets a letter telling him that it's Tyrion. So you know, yeah. it's, a fa- it's a fairly yeah. pointless for the means of plot. Yeah, um, yeah, I agree. With that. It was a little bit round the houses for no discernible purpose. Yeah, um, it's, e- it's t- even sorry. Sorry, go on. Yeah, I was just going to say I really like the the reintroduction of the Dothraki at this point because yeah. I mean they were a great, it was really really fantastic. Um, like. Uh, idea um, to put in in the first one and obviously you know kind of Daenerys's experience there has formed her whole character and you know she became the Khaleesi <laughs> but, um, but she is but then we haven't heard anything and, the, and some of the tension in, in the Daenerys thing was that she was kind of quite weak and that there were these other stronger Kalasars around right and then but we haven't heard anything from them which I suppose is fair enough because the Dothraki sea is fucking massive and they just ride around it killing people and riding horses and and so on, um, but so I kind of liked looping back around to this, and because I I hope there's more Dothraki in in what comes what comes up. Yeah, yeah. 
th- this just just going back briefly to this thing about Tyrion trying to pretend to be somebody else. Mm. Um, obviously, Ilriel says he's called Yolo, and Tyrion says, "Oh, thinks oh crap." <laughs> I'm, you know, I'm obviously you, not. <laughs> did you enjoy that, by the way? <laughs> Fucking dwarf called Yolo. <laughs> See, this is like it's like I mean, in another setting, that would be completely a taunt, wouldn't it? It'd be like, <laughs> "Careful, Tyrion." YOLO <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah and then he says oh no I'm actually Hugo Hill from you know somewhere in Westeros and then so he's desperately trying to stay undercover and he realises when the Meister says are you, are you, so are you a bastard or a king because of his the surname is given that this guy's pretty quick and um, you know yeah. quite intelligent um, and then he immediately gets involved in this discussion about dragons and shows off his knowledge his deep knowledge about sort of dragons so he's obviously yeah. very very well read and later on he goes on to talk about the you know seven natural and nine man-made wonders of the world yeah. and it just felt strange that i don't know i'm not sure what Tyrion's trying to do here because at first he's trying to stay undercover and then he's showing off all this knowledge which surely gives the impression that he he is this, this little sort of yeah nobody yeah. kind of guy it, yeah it just it seems a strange thing for him to, to do yeah yeah i i agree with that it is a strange thing to do, but maybe he's, you know, he just can't help himself. You know, this is, he's like a warrior being asked to walk around without his armor and sword. He's asking Tyrion to walk around and not be knowledgeable about things. You yeah. know, it might turn out to be an unwise thing to do, but he can't not know this stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah, and particularly because there's one moment, isn't it, in this where he mentions that, you know, he asked his father for the, the right to go touring around these, these places that he is right now and, and was yeah. told to basically go and clean out the toilets instead. <laughs> yeah. Um, and um, and you know it, it, it's explained as this moment of like relationship breakdown between him and his father. But I quite liked that as a little explanation for why he can't really keep himself under wraps here. Because on mm. some level, he's having the year out he always wanted to have and never got <laughs> to take. You know? Yeah, yeah, that's true. Actually, yeah, Westerosi Gapyard. <laughs> um, speaking of histories, if we hear a bit about Duck and uh, how he became a knight. He was basically this armourer's son in Bitterbridge, which is in sort of the Reach. Uh, so sort of, you know, um, you know what they're called, so the Soloris areas, you know, mm. um, the Tyrell area. And, mm-hmm. um, the, you know, the, he was this armourer's son. There was this lord who was, act, who was acting up. His son was a bit of an arsehole. Got into a fight and then he had to run away, duck. Um, and then he was knighted by this uh, Griff guy from the Golden Company. And now he's a knight, and he's, he's called Duck because there were ducks around when uh, when he was knight. <laughs> Such a stupid name for like. <laughs> and at that moment as well, becoming a knight, you're like, how am I going to be the most badass? Like he looks up and there's ducks there. I don't think at that moment you're obliged <laughs> to take that as an omen and take it as your name. <laughs> Look up a bit higher and see if there's any eagles to be seen. You know what I mean? Like, don't go for the first flightless animal you see. <laughs> I love that idea. I love how like he kneels down and it's like, and what will your name be? He looks up, he sees the eagle, he thinks, hmm, looks to his right, there's a viper in the grass. He's like, hmm. Looks to his left, there's sort of like a tiger stalking through <laughs> the things. Like, hmm. Then he sees a little duck waddling waddling past. He's like, oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's me. That's me. Yeah. This is I heard this so many puns I can make out of this name. <laughs> So many puns everybody else can make out of this. Fuck, can I take it back? Can you do the sword thing again? I've got a different name, different name. Too late. Sir Bear. Sir Massive Fuck Off Terrifying Troll. Sir Dragon. Sir Sir Duck. All right. All right. Yeah. 
So, uh, so that, that that's Duck. Anyway, Duck reminds me of um, Lem Lemon Cloak. Yeah, yeah. Well, because so, he's got a stupid name, and that's about the only thing that you've uh, got to distinguish. I him suppose. Of. Yeah, Lem Lemon Cloak <laughs> before the sort of um, the the dark reboot of him. <laughs> yeah, fucking hell. Yeah, <laughs> uh, me. Um, yeah, they reach this pole boat called the Shy Maid. When I think of a pole boat, I kind of think of a uh, this, and I, and I know this isn't right, but I always imagine a like a traditional English sort of canal boat barge without the engine. <laughs> 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 no, I tell you what, I think of is I think of um, uh, punts. You know, the boats they have out on the river that you, in Oxford and Cambridge where you push them up and down with a pole. Yeah. Um, which are fiendishly hard to steer, by the way. I, I just, yeah. So imagine somebody pushing along a massive like canal barge, but with a pole. Yeah. Like, because that when that goes wrong, shit, you're not you're not changing the direction on that fucker. No chance. <laughs> yeah. So we meet the rest of the group as well. There are this old couple that own the boat. Um, there's obviously Duck and Halden and Tyrion, and then you've got Griff, who's the sort of the boss, this knight. Um, there's a young man. We don't get this guy's name. But it appears to be Griff's son. Uh, the, this this scepter, um, and I think that's it. That's all of them. But it's like another sort of massive. I do after this sort of part of the book, especially with the Quentin chapter and then Tyrion's chapter here, and that's a, to a lesser extent what happens with Davos. Mm. You just feel a lot of new characters getting dumped on you very quickly, and it, yeah. I've got to admit, especially with the Tyrion ones here. It's quite hard to keep track of who's who for a bit because there's so little sort of character to each of them at the moment. Yeah, yeah, I really struggle with this actually. Like, I that's it. It's like drawing drawing diagrams in the air. So wait, yeah. he's with what? Why is he there? Yeah, yeah, and then so Griff uh, meets obviously meets Tyrion, takes him down to his sort of quarters to to figure out who the hell he is. Gets this letter explaining who Tyrion is and what Tyrion's done. They have yeah. this conversation. It's quite good. This it's sort of a Griffithian sort of um, you know knowledge off as they sort of try and feel <laughs> each other. Crazy version of like a rap slam, only <laughs> with general knowledge. <laughs> yeah, and it seems like Griff is obviously no fool, but also yeah. Tyrion's a little bit quicker than him still. Yeah, um, and so sort of keeps one step ahead. Tyrion basically Griff basically says, you know, what have you got to offer, um, Daenerys? Why should I bother taking you along? And yeah. Tyrion says, basically, it's intel. You know, I know who, the, who <laughs> I know who the sort of loyal lords are, who the cowardly ones are, who are the ones who are likely to come over to your side, where yeah. the best places to go. He's got loads of information that will be useful, basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so he's so he's allowed to. Basically, this ends with him uh, Tyrion being told he's allowed to stay with them, sort of on a bit of a trial run as far as Volantis, and then they'll make a decision. If he's, you know, if he's not in any trouble, they'll take him all the way to Marine. If he is, you can, you can sort <laughs> off really him. They really do treat him like a pet dog, don't they? It's like, all right, if you don't whittle on the carpet, you're allowed to come all the way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He, he also says, um, if that wasn't enough, Griff also says, you know, you are the lo- you are the last amongst us. You're the lowest of the low here. <laughs> Let me be completely clear. The shit on my shoe has more of a say in my doings than you do. Okay, all right, yeah. we clear. Fabulous. Go and sleep on the deck. What do you make of Griff? Griff seems to be uh, Tyrion seems to have the impression that Griff is kind of like a uh, similar to his dad. Uh, he's right, even down to like the eye color, um, um, that kind of guy. Uh, difficult to say because I think Tywin Lannister was a one-off, terrifying behemoth of a political operator, wasn't he? And I don't get the yeah. sense that Griff is that 
but that may be because I'm having trouble picturing him with anybody else's face other than Griff Reese Jones, which is not the most <laughs> intimidating, uh, intimidating kind of face or manner you can put on somebody. Yeah. Uh, but that notwithstanding, <laughs> um, uh, I don't know. I'd be interested to see how it plays out. I feel like there could be more to Griff than just, you know, a Tywin Lannister substitute. Mm. Uh, I feel like you know there's interesting things ahead. Well, we shall see. On mm. to oh. Look who's jo- look who's joined the party. It's only Davos Seaworth. Hey! Now, <laughs> it's been so long since we had a Davos chapter, and the TV series and the books have diverged so much that I spent a good five minutes when I came across this chapter sitting there looking off into space going, is he dead? Do I think he's dead? Has he been killed yet? He's probably been killed, hasn't he? Like, I just could honestly, for the life of me, could not remember. Yeah. It doesn't help, because it's gone in three directions, really, because the Davos here is obviously... Yeah earlier Davos to whatever happens oh, fucking, yeah. in, in Feast oh, of Crows. So you've, you've basically got Davos in the series, which we won't go into too much, but yeah, he diverges massively and he is yeah. in another part of, from what I can tell, another part of the world now. Um, yeah. Oh, he's, anyway, that's, that's, yeah. let's leave that to one side because goodness knows where that plot's going. Um, mm. Feast for Crows Davos, we didn't come across at all mm. apart from the news that he... <laughs> <laughs> he's his <laughs> head's on a spike in White Harbour. Yeah. Um, so I mean, I know that's kind of spoiler alert, but uh, <laughs> George had done it himself. <laughs> yeah. We already know this. Um, yeah. Yeah. So it, it does add a sense of dread to any chapter about Davos, doesn't it? Especially it does because you, you're sort of waiting for it to happen, and that's yeah, really he, sad because again, he was a decent human being. Decent human beings don't survive in Westeros. Yeah, he's doing everything he can to get to White Harbour, and you're reading it thinking, don't go to White Harbour. Don't go to White Harbour. So it starts with him in chains, and actually, because of that knowledge, when it starts with him being led to this castle in chains, I immediately thought, oh, he's been arrested at White Harbour. He's about to get executed. Um, It takes a bit of time just to work out where the hell he is, doesn't it? Um, It turns out he's in somewhere called Breakwater Castle. It's basically on... One of the, they called Sweet Sister, one of the yeah. islands of this uh, yeah. trio, I think, called the Sisters, which are these horrible, cold, rocky, windy, wet islands, kind of like the Iron Islands, but smaller and less successful, um, if that's possible, um, off the coast of, basically off the coast of sort of uh, the Vale. So it's in mm. between um, sort of the north and the south, really, uh, and it's sort of. He's, he appears to have been kind of blown off course on as he was making his way towards White Harbour. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and it's not clear at all, and it, I don't imagine it will ever be made clear exactly what happened. Yeah, I mean, we get a bit of snatched recollections of of kind of what happened here. So he set off with this fleet, Salada Sands fleet, basically Stannis's naval power, um, and Salada Sand, if you remember, the sort of smuggler pirate who joined up with joined up with Stannis with promises of gold and riches. His fleet was really badly damaged on the way by storms mm. to the extent where Salada Son, Son just gets furious and just decides, you know, I'm back in the losing horse here. Yeah. Um, I've been promised promise after promise. I'm still not getting any closer to any gold. I've had enough. Yeah. So he, said, he appears to have given Davos an option. He says, you know, come with me and we'll go off and do our own thing. And yeah. Davos is like, no, I'm, I'm obviously he's loyal to a fault, isn't he, Davos? Yeah. So Salador basically sticks Davos on a rowing boat, sends him off to the sisters and abandons <laughs> Go him. on then, fuck off. 
<laughs> I mean, I suppose that's how that's how you sort of succeed as a pirate, isn't it? You sort of you yeah. can be you can treat your friends well, but at the end of the day, if, if they're not going to go just along, gotta fuck off, you got to be ruthless. Fuck off. <laughs> yeah. So so that's that's how Dallas has ended up here. Um, he hears that, so he ends up in this 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 hall of uh, Lord Godric of Sweet Sister, who's this mm. sort of wet, slippery, freezing cold. I just, <laughs> I love the description of this guy. It, <laughs> <laughs> it feels like sort of, you know, Grey Joys in miniature, doesn't he? Um, he actually, sort of, yeah. Well, although not as kind of, not as kind of almost comedically clownishly cold-hearted as the Greyjoys, you know? Yeah, yeah. This is the point where Davos hears about what's happened with Tywin. Mm. That uh, Tyrion's killed him and disappeared. I love how the story's changed. It's a classic. It's like, it's similar to when the rumour was going round about King Robert um, eating a bull, uh, eating a boar and literally exploding everywhere. Um, <laughs> th- this is, th- yeah. This, th- the tale now is that Tyrion snuck into Tywin's sort of bedchambers and literally ripped him apart with his bare hands and ran away yeah. covered in head to heel in blood like some kind Which, of little monster. And at no point does anybody go, this is Tyrion Lannister, sort of, <laughs> The little sort guy, of right? short chap. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> y- you wouldn't call him large or indeed strong. Tore yeah. Tywin Lannister, the most terrifying warrior the country's ever seen, limb from limb, while he slept. Can we get some fact verification on this? Can we? <laughs> we could get some backup. This is just from a tweet, isn't it? Somebody's just tweeted this, and you put it on the news as a real story. For fuck's sake. <laughs> At King's Landing Courier. <laughs> <laughs> I yeah. saw it myself. That <laughs> I saw somebody telling me that that happened myself. <laughs> as um, as Davos is finding out these various bits of information, they're sitting down to have a meal, and um, the meal's got all these interesting spices, including like saffron and all this stuff in it. And it's basically because a ship sort of washed up on the rocks, just full of spices. And they see every so <laughs> every so often the. Um, the people on the on the sisters get like a little windfall because they managed to tempt a, a ship in bad weather to founder on the rocks and they get to keep the cargo. <laughs> I don't know why I found that hilarious. It's like, ooh, saffron tonight. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I love that as well. It's like, we'll put saffron on our reboiled whale meat. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like a ship full of incredible kind of uh, wealth comes in. But... You know, but you've, this, you've still got nothing to put it on. <laughs> yeah, it's a uh, sweet sister uh, crab and uh, and clam chowder with saffron and star anise. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, but uh, Davos thinks it's delicious anyway. But that's yeah. about as good as it gets for Davos. He hears the good news about Tywin being killed, but the less encouraging news is that a large Frey um, ship has already gone to White Harbor. <sighs> Deary me. Effectively, with terms for um, for Wyman Manderley, and it appears that Wyman's accepted them. So basically, they've brought Sir Wendell, who's Wyman's son, they've brought his bones back because he was killed at the Red Wedding, you know, by yeah. the phrase, which might not... Yeah. <laughs> so Wyman's obviously furious about that, surely. Yeah. But... He's been offered, you know, a marriage into the phrase now, some sort of terms, and the impression here is that Wyman's two things. One, is kind of soft you know he's this big fat guy who's just wants an easy life 
and you know the the Mandalis aren't true northerners they were sort of as we said last time they were kind of southerners in exile who were given a home mm. so deep down you know then they might not be as we said actually this was a reason for them being super loyal but I suppose yeah. you could look at it the other side say you know old family blood ties wise they're less likely to be loyal than any of the others and it seems that's what's happened here yeah, yeah, I was thinking this is we've just given Manderley a fair shake of the whip, and he's seen his only appearance back since we were suspicious of him, and he's basically <laughs> thrown it right back in our faces. I know, yeah, I feel so betrayed. <laughs> um, you bastard, Manderley! Yeah. Um, but Davos, for, for all this, still wants to go to White Harbour just to try, to try and convince this guy to change his mind, especially now that Saladar-san's left. You know, why am I Manderley? As he said to Bran way back when he's been building a fleet and Stannis needs a fleet now and he's lost yeah. his own, the only thing he had yeah. so Davos thinks I've got to still at least try and the reason he um, isn't being because technically um, you think the sisters the, the you know this Godric guy could send him down to King's Landing for a, a nice sort of payoff from the crown Um and the, it turns out the reason he's not doing this is pretty much because of what's happened with Tywin. Yeah. The fact that Cersei is in charge and this guy, um, even this even this you know wretched old bloke sat on a rock in the middle of nowhere, um, yeah. is aware enough of what she's like to have a few doubts about which way this is going to go now. Yeah. Um, so yeah. he's basically going to hedge his bets, isn't he? Well, and you can't blame him, really, can you? Like, having heard that Tywin Lannister has died and that the, the preeminent power in King's Landing now is Cersei, you're like, doesn't seem to be like she's much of a rational operator at this point. Like, yeah. might, might, might have to hedge my bets either way because I really don't trust it. And, it, you know, isn't it interesting that she would like to believe she exercises this, like, complete control? But actually mm. her desire for complete control has driven her to crazy behaviour, which means that people that would otherwise be on her side are like, uh, yeah, maybe not. Don't don't call us. We'll call you. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And it seems that this is a... Uh, they've sort of got... They've got form for this, the uh, the, the lords of, uh, of these islands. Um, apparently, during the rebellion, Robert's Rebellion, you know, when the Targaryens were booted out, mm-hmm. uh... <laughs> Ned turned up here. He was washed up. This is a. This comes out of nowhere, doesn't it? I love it? this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ned was um, not only washed up here, but um, nearly died. He was nearly drowned and was saved by this sort of woman who turned out, it appears, to be John's mum. Basically, you know, Ned oh. got a bit got a bit close. It all got a bit sort of hot and heavy. And that's, yeah. that's how Ned ended up with the bastard. I there you John. go. There you go. Have we talked about who John's mum might we, be? We have not spoken about R plus L equals J, which I believe is the uh, is the standard online nomenclature for it. So, so there are various theories around who um, John's mother is, and this is one of them. But um, if we, we'll probably come back to this towards the end of our uh, look at Dance with Dragons, um, and when we know a bit more through what happens in this book gives us a, a few more facts to go on then we can have a proper sit down and, and talk yeah. about where we think John's parentage sort of fits into the whole yeah. the whole plot here and who it might be mm-hmm. uh, the, so, so but I mean th- this, this story also serves to show that um, when Ned was here 
and it was in the middle of this civil war, the, the lords on these islands hedged the bets a bit, basically said you were never here and sent him on his way. Yeah. And I think it looks like they're going to do the same again here. They're saying yeah. to Davos, you were never here. You know, yeah. go on your way. And if you happen to win, don't forget that we helped you out. You know, mm-hmm. that's sort of it. You can't really lose, yeah. can you? Then, <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. And you can only get away with it when you're a tiny place that nobody cares about, who, but which constantly finds itself being quite pivotal. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, okay, so that's us done for this uh, for this week. If you're reading along with us, let me just find the old uh, um, list of piece of paper we're reading to. Yeah. Okay, so if you're reading along with us for part three read from the next chapter which is about John they brought forth the king beyond the wall as far as um, it's page 203 in my uh, in my book it's a chapter about Daenerys which begins the dancers shimmered <laughs> so where'd you go? Um, there you go just before we finish for today uh, we have we have a little bit of feedback to get through we've had uh, email from Max friend of the podcast alright uh, Hello, Max. He says, uh, "Quick, qua- let's try again. Quick, crazy theory for Dance with Dragons." And um, I was a hundred percent convinced that Cold Hands, as we mentioned in the in the last cast, was mm. Uncle Benjamin missing since book oh, that'd one. Be fucking amazing, wouldn't it? I love that. Oh, yeah. brilliant! Oh, I bet a sense of butt coming up. Well, no, there isn't really a butt. Um, that's just sort of one of the. Th- it is one of the theories around Cold Hands. Who the he- who is this guy? Um, the the sort of the theory against that is, yeah. I think he says, or he has done already, or he, he, he does at some point, that he uh, is like old, like he's been around for a long yeah. time, like hundreds yeah. or even thousands of years, yeah. which would obviously put the kibosh on that. Yeah. Um, but it's a, it is still a very popular theory, and we obviously um, we don't know for sure at the stage we're at in the book, and I'm not even sure we know for sure by the end of the book, but um, it's one to keep a watch on. There are loads of theories about Benjen. It's very difficult because it's really strange, isn't it, that yeah. he just disappears. Yeah. And it could just be, very simply, he's never seen again. You know, that can happen. Yeah. You know, after the yeah. war, he's never seen again. Um, but there is a feel, isn't there? I always sometimes get a feeling that maybe yeah. there's more to this. You know, he's the only character, really, just to have disappeared. Only properly yeah. named character. Yeah, so maybe yeah, there's more to it. That's true, and I hope so. I like callbacks to the first novel because yeah, the first novel had characters in it that I cared about, who seems to be quite complicated. And as yeah. we've gone on, the plots become more complicated, but the type of character we encounter has become quite simplified. They're either weak and useless, or bastards, or slowly yeah. being corrupted from one yeah. into the other, and and that's less interesting. So I'd love yeah. it if Benjamin turned out to be cold hands. That'd be grand. Yeah. Um, so cheers for that, Max. Max has also sent us um, a fantastic uh, bit of art, which he is it's, oh, a, yeah. it's basically a drawing that he that, that Max has done pretty, pretty much straight after uh, Dance with Dragons came out. And it's mm. this bit. Um, do you remember the bit with Melisandre where she says, "You know nothing, Jon Snow." Yeah. Um, it's it's almost that sort of scene it's set in yeah, well, it's like Castle Black. It's got um, Jon's direwolf ghost with him, and sort of Jon sort of there with Melisandre sort of around him almost like a Desdemona sort of character uh, right. whispering in his ear um, I've, I'm going to send Max a, uh, Max I'll, I'm going to send you an email just to check that you're cool with us sharing this um, but if so we'll stick it on on our Twitter uh, and tweet it out if you want to take a look yourself so that'll be at Shark Live Royal uh, by the time this comes out hopefully it'll be up there um, unless Max says actually 
cute. <laughs> don't, don't go tweeting it, which case we won't. But um, yeah, so hopefully we'll, we'll, we'll pop that out so you can take a look yourself. But it's yeah, it's great. Yeah, great bit of art. T- I'll tell you what, I'm, I'm dead impressed with that, Max. Like lovely work, mate. Hmm, it's nice, great. Isn't it? Yeah. Um, so yeah, if you anything else you want to get in touch with us with, um, if you've got any thoughts on the book, uh, or you know you want to send us some of your own sort of uh, uh, either artwork or theories or anything like that. Uh, do get in touch. Just uh, you can send an email to sharkliveroilpodcast at gmail.com. That's sharkliveroilpodcast at gmail.com. Or, of course, you can get us on Twitter. We are at sharkliveroil. I think that, that rounds us up for today, Dave. There we go. So, there unless we there go. are any more decrees you would like to make or points <laughs> you want to say, I think we do. I, I decree that next week should be just as interesting as this week. I feel okay. it's good. I feel like we're on a, we're on an upward curve here, off the, out of out of um, the pit of a feast for crows. Yeah, I say go to Astapor for the best steaks in the Seven Kingdoms and Essos by royal decree of the Butcher King. <laughs> Let love for the Butcher King. I was going to say, are we taking sponsorship? I don't know. Matt. Are you coining <laughs> money off of this? <laughs> sure you've had steak in the past but have you had steak like a king (laughs) anyway um, on that on that note uh enjoy the the uh, next part of the book and uh and we will be back again next week with uh our third part in uh, a song of ice and fires i dance with dragons see you next time see you next time